0: Pastor Sam for rubbing it in, and I live somewhere that's brutally cold. I, every winter I question the call of God. <laughs> I, I, I'm from New Zealand originally, and everyone goes, Oh, you're used to the cold. And I tell them, This is why I moved from New Zealand to Queensland. And then God sent me to New South Wales. I'm like, oh my God. So, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You know, Church, you have amazing, amazing pastors. You are so blessed in your pastors. Yes. I know you know this already, but you know we did it. We had Pastor Sam down a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke with the, um, our leadership teams, just spent a, a day. We worked them hard, just working with all of our leadership teams. He spoke to our young adults, and just brought such incredible wisdom and, and insight. And um, also, a few weeks before that, I'd been talking to some of my my girl leaders, going, okay, I want to bring someone in who can just really speak to our, our hearts. Who would you like? Unanimously, Pastor Carolina. Now, we have to bring them in. You guys get them every week. That's how blessed you are. Like, so they are amazing, and we love you both, and we love doing this journey alongside you, so. All right. Are you ready to just dive into the Word of God this morning? You happy for this? Okay. I love the Bible. I love the Bible and I just I hope you love it too and if you don't dive in because you will fall in love with Jesus through the Bible. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30 and um, before we go there I'm just going to kind of set the scene so you know what's going on. There's a guy called David and he's going to eventually become the king of Israel but at the moment he is not king. In fact at the moment he's a fugitive. He's on the run from the king from the current king of Israel King Saul. And so what he's done, he's got an army of 600 men with him, and he's actually aligned himself with the Philistines, which is Israel's enemy, in some kind of attempt to kind of get some distance between him and Saul and find somewhere safe where he can, you know, be with his men and their families can raise their kids and sort of have a home and not be killed. And so... In the chapter, they're living in a a town called Ziklag in the Philistine area. And in the chapter before, um, the Philistine army and David's army are actually about to go to war against the Israelites. But the Philistines are like, hang on a second, how do we know you're not going to double cross us? Like you say you're going to go to war with your own people, but really? And so the king of the Philistines says to David, no, 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 you're not going to go into battle with us. We're sending you back to Ziklag. So David and his 600 men, Set out on the march back home to Ziklag, which is a three-day journey, and that's where we're gonna pick it up now. First Samuel 30, verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among the captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cro- cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field, and they brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and three nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Kerethites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also received all the flocks and the herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This spoil belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besaw and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. Holy Spirit, I just invite you here right now. I thank you, you are already here. I thank you, you have been here from the first moment that the worship started and even before. And Father, I pray right now, you would speak to every heart and every life. Lord God, you know exactly where we're at. You know exactly what we're facing. And I think you will speak to us in our circumstances and lead us higher in Jesus' name. Alright, so the title of my message today is Location, Location. I want to ask you a question, which is where does your heart live? Where does your heart live? And so we've read in this chapter, David and his army, they return back from three days of hiking, basically. They get home, they are tired, they're dirty, they probably stink, they're hungry, but they're so excited to see their wives and their kids and their families again. But instead, they find their homes burned to the ground, their livestock and possessions destroyed or stolen, and most heartbreaking of all, their families are gone. And then in the middle of their anguish, in the middle of their grief, David is just like brokenhearted. And suddenly, his friends, his brothers-in-arms, turn on him. They're crazed by grief for their lost families, and they're desperate to take their rage out on someone, anyone, and so they blame David for the loss of their wives and children. And they decide they want to kill him. They want to murder him. I can't imagine a day worse than this. I can't imagine the depth of anguish and despair that they are feeling in this moment with their wives and their children gone. And they have no idea. Are they still alive? Are they, they, they have no idea. But the way that David faced this situation shows us where his heart lived. You see, the location of his heart determined his actions on this tragic day. And there's two places that we can locate our heart. We can locate our heart in the valley or we can dwell on the mountain. And I'm going to unpack this morning this concept of valley dwellers and mountain dwellers. And what you're going to see is that regardless of the situation, good times and bad times, valley dwellers always see from the perspective of the valley. But mountain dwellers see from the perspective of the mountain. Mountain dwellers like David see differently than valley dwellers. And that location of your heart will shape your response when life gets hard, when things come against you. So I'm going to give you four differences between valley dwellers and mountain dwellers that we can learn from David's story here. So we're going to dive straight in. Number one, valley dwellers sit in their anxiety. Mountain dwellers find strength in their God. I was reading a blog by Sarah Wilson. If anyone's heard of her, she writes the I Quit Sugar books. Love her. Or love her I Quit Sugar stuff anyway. The blog was called Anxiety. Fight it or ride with it. And this is what she said. Every few months or so, I get stuck. I get wobbly. Or as was the case this time, I get so thoroughly sick of myself, I can't move forward. To deal with my groundhog day dramas, I call on Christine, a psychic I've known for years. And so Sarah's battling anxiety. And I I do want to be very sensitive here because I understand anxiety is a very real battle. I've I've battled with it myself, and so I understand what that is like. But Sarah, facing this anxiety, her response is to see a psychic. It, it, it. Exactly. So here's what her psychic tells her to do simply sit in it, embrace it. Don't flee from it, don't fight it. Say yes to the discomfort and love the anxiety, even if it's extremely painful. Even if your emotions are running rampant, just allow it all. No judgment. And so her psychic's advice is to sit in the anxiety, to embrace the anxiety, to dwell in this valley of emotion and just let those emotions run wild. I wonder what would have happened if David had allowed his emotions to run wild on that day. I wonder what would have happened if he had chosen to just sit in that heartbreak and dwell in that valley of pain and just embrace that distress. I don't know how you survive when you live in that place, when you stay and sit in that place. But on this gut-wrenching, heartbreaking day, David instead did this. David found strength, verse 6, in the Lord his God. David found strength. In the Lord is God. See, in our moment of deepest distress, there is strength available to us. When we feel weak, there is strength, supernatural strength, available to us. And the question is not whether you'll feel pain. The question is not whether you'll feel heartbreak. It's not a question of whether you'll feel anxious. We will. We all will at times. Maybe you're facing it right now. But the question is where will your heart dwell? See, in that moment of your deepest distress, you are not alone. God is with you. God's presence is with you. He is near. And it's in his presence that you find strength. David found strength where? In the Lord his God. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about Everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And we're just going to have that scripture sit there for a second. We're going to just pause for a moment in here. See, we have a choice. Valley dwellers take Sarah's psychic's advice and sit in the anxiety. They embrace it. They live in the valley of emotion. But mountain dwellers follow David's example and find strength in the Lord their God. There's nothing wrong with feeling that emotion. That's natural. That's normal. We feel it. We feel the pain. We feel the heartache. And if anything, David in that moment was facing far deeper distress than what Sarah refers to in her blog. But David chose not to live there. David found strength in God. And in the Scripture of Philippians, Paul tells us to take everything to God. Everything. Tell Him everything. Tell Him the good and tell Him the bad. Tell Him exactly what you're going through. Everything means everything. And the promise in Philippians is that the peace of God will be ours. Peace that is way beyond our understanding. In other words, God will give you peace that makes no sense. Peace in the middle of the storm. Peace when all of the circumstances are screaming panic, you have peace. God's peace is present when you should have no peace. That's what it means when it says peace that exceeds your understanding. It's like, why? I should not have peace right now. I have peace. I have peace. And there's more. What does this peace do? It says it guards our hearts and it guards our minds. In other words, it guards our emotions and it guards our thought life. No longer do our thoughts torment us, no longer do our emotions run wild, instead we have the peace of God when we should have no peace. Yeah. Psalm 29:11 says the Lord gives his people strength, the Lord blesses them with peace, strength and peace, and you find it always in the presence of God. David found strength in God and God gave him peace in the middle of his circumstances. Valley dwellers sit in the anxiety. Mountain dwellers find strength in God. Number two, valley dwellers are led by their emotions. (coughs) Mountain dwellers are led by God. See, after he found strength in God, David is then able to do the second thing. Ask God, what do I do? What do I do now? See, David realized that although he felt alone and although he'd lost his family and although his men were plotting to kill him, the reality was he was not alone. And neither are you. God has never left you. He has never forsaken you. And so in that moment, we can simply say, just like David, okay, God, what do I do now? What do I do? David's men, on the other hand, were so led by their emotions that they were about to kill their leader. This is his army. Days before they had fought alongside him, days before they would give their lives for him, Days before they were loyal and devoted, but now their emotions are completely out of control. They're about to kill David as if it had been him that stole their families. They blamed him for something completely out of his control because they were living in this valley of heartbreak and they were crazed by grief and they were turning on each other because valley dwellers are led by their emotions. But David, facing the same grief, he responded differently. David had also lost his family. And on top of that, as the leader of this army and as leader of this this people group, he also felt the weight of everyone else's loss because he was their leader. He was responsible for them and they had lost their families. So the weight that he's carrying is even more than what his men carried. The pain of it would have been crushing. But instead of being crushed under the weight of this emotion, David just turned to God. And once he found strength in God, he then asked God the question, what? do I do? And God answers in verse 8, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. God not only told David what he needed to do, but he also told David what he was going to do. It's going to be okay. You're going to recover everything. And I believe this is a promise from God for many of us today. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. What's been stolen from you? Maybe the devil has stolen your joy. Maybe you've lost your peace. Maybe your hope has been stolen. Your sense of purpose has been stolen. Maybe your ability to trust or your ability to forgive has been stolen. And I believe that God is saying today that when we find strength in Him and when we're led by Him, we will recover what has been stolen from us. Because those things that have been stolen, where do we find them? Straight back in the presence of God. Straight back in the presence of God and we recover our hope and our peace and our purpose and our strength. And in verse 19 and 20, David has defeated the Amalekites. And we discover that God always does more than what we hoped for. So David is hoping for his family to be recovered. But let's see what happens. Nothing was missing. It says in verse 19, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also received all the flocks and the herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This spoil belongs to David, he said. You see, God is always the God of more than we can ask or imagine. He is always the God that not only does He restore what has been lost, but He gives over and above. Not only do the men receive their wives and their families back, but now they have an abundance. And this is what we see when instead of being led by our emotions, we allow ourselves to be led by God. Number three, valley dwellers are self-focused, mountain dwellers are others-focused. In verse 11, David's men come across a man who's just been left for dead, literally. And they have no idea who he is. They have no idea where he's from. And he's so close to death that he can't even speak. And so they give him food and water under David's direction. And they care for him until he's actually able to recover his strength. And it's only then that they discover he was a slave of the Amalekites. And he is able to lead them straight to the camp of the Amalekites. But you see, they had no clue of this when they found him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know he knew where the Amalekites were. They didn't know he hated the Amalekites and would gladly lead them to them. They had no idea. He was just a guy near death that they saw. And in the middle of their grief and their heartache and their loss and their despair and their anger and their desperation, you could forgive them for just passing on by. They were on a mission to recover their families, or at the very least, kill the people who'd killed their families. They were single-minded, completely focused on what they were doing. And yet they stopped to help a stranger in need. You see, valley dwellers give excuses for not reaching out, for not helping others, because they're consumed with their own pain. And they're unable to see what others are going through, because all they see is their Their pain and their heartache. But mountain dwellers are others focused. Even in their pain, they see the needs of others and they reach out with the love of God. You may be on your journey to recover what's been stolen from you. You may be in pain. You may be heartbroken. You may be just beginning this faith journey. I want to encourage you, don't close your heart down to others. Have an open heart, a loving heart. Have open eyes to see with the Spirit of God Look who you can encourage. Look who you can bless. Look who just needs a friend. See the needs of others and just respond because who knows? Who knows what God might do? As you reach out to them, God might just bring your miracle along. You might discover that in seeking to help others, you're the one who's helped. Valley dwellers are self-focused. Mountain dwellers are others-focused. Number four, valley dwellers are always comparing. Mountain dwellers are always blessing. Verse 21, David returned to the brook Besaw and met up with the 200 men who'd been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us so they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders. You see, the men who went to battle were all about the comparison. We fought, they didn't. We risked our lives, they sat by a river. They wanted to withhold the spoil and withhold the prosperity from those who were too weak to fight. But they had it all upside down. You see, look at their words. They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Now, just hang on a second. These are the guys that five minutes before wanted to murder their leader. It wasn't their idea to chase after the Amalekites and recover the the plunder and recover the spoil. They were going to kill their leader. And now suddenly it's all about, oh, look at the plunder that we recovered. Hello. But David gets it right. Don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He kept us safe and he helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. You see, valley dwellers are always comparing. I thought they didn't. This is my journey, not theirs. And they're always looking for the credit and they're always trying to get their fair share. But mountain dwellers are just looking for an opportunity to bless because they realize that any blessing they have is simply the grace and the goodness of God. And so they want to share that blessing with others. And so David, our mountain dweller, insists that the 200 that stayed behind, that sat by the brook, who were with them in spirit but just didn't have the strength to go on, that they shared equally in the spoils with those who fought. And he feels so strongly about it, he makes it a law. Right. Why? Because it's a principle of God. Yeah. In our journey and in our fight to recover what's been stolen from us, let's bless those that we find along the way. Let's not compare our journey with someone else's journey. Let's realize that God blesses for us to bless others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're sitting here today and you're just like, you know, I feel weak, I actually just feel tired. And exhausted, and I don't know if I have any fight left. I want you to take heart. That brook called Besaw, where David left those 200 men who were too weak. Besaw means cheerful. And I believe God is saying, you know, it's okay to rest and recover and become cheerful again. And let God fill your spirit again with His presence. And I'm not talking rest by withdrawing from the world and shutting down. I'm saying rest in the presence of God because that will bring you cheerfulness. That will bring your heart healing again. And while you recover, allow others around you who are stronger to pray for you. Stay in community. Allow them to encourage you and allow them to bless you. Stay in community so that you can become strong again. And if you are strong enough to fight and you're on your journey to recover what's been stolen or maybe you're returning with victory, having had an amazing win in your life, bless the ones who are not able to fight. Pray for them, strengthen them, encourage them, help them because it's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. I'm going to ask the keyboard just to join me. So today I've given you four keys, four different ways that valley dwellers are different from mountain dwellers. But there's a reason I've called them valley dwellers and mountain dwellers. You see, while David and his men were chasing after the Amalekite raiders, remember that the Philistine army are fighting against the Israelite army and King Saul, the king of Israel, is actually killed in that battle. And two days after David and his men return home with their families, they discover that Saul is dead. And so once again David just says to God, Okay, what do you want me to do? And God tells David and his men and their families to journey to a place called Hebron. And 2 Samuel 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, David took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. And the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. See, David's lowest point losing his family and his men about to kill him, came literally only days before he became king of Israel. At our lowest point, we see no way out. And we're like, why God? What have you done? What is going on in my life? And God's saying, trust me, trust me. Just a little while longer, you'll be stronger. You'll be greater. You'll be better. You'll be more full of faith, more full of hope, more full of trust. You'll be able to see clearly. You'll see the devil's attacks and you'll be able to see God in the midst of it. God's saying, trust me. David's lowest point came just before his greatest day. But before he could be made king in Hebron, he had to fight the Amalekites who had stolen what was his. The Amalekites are descendants from a guy called Amalek. And the name Amalek means valley dweller. Hebron, where David was made king, is a mountain city, 3,000 feet above sea level in Judah. But before David could be made king on the mountain, he had to journey through the valley and he had to deal with the valley dwellers who were trying to destroy his future and steal his future from him. But how easy it would have been for David that day in Ziklag, his wives and his children gone. How easy it would have been in that moment just to give up, just to dwell in that valley of loss and pain and stay there the rest of his days, living in the ashes of what once was. But instead, he received an abundance back. He received everything he would lost plus more because he chose to pass through the valley, not live there. He chose to destroy the valley dwellers, not become one himself. Before David could be made king on the mountain, he had to journey through the valley. And then, and only then, was he able to take his place on the mountain and to step into his purpose and his calling as king. And for us, as we journey through the valley and we destroy the valley dweller that's trying to steal our future, we then get to take our place on the mountain of God as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm gonna ask you all to just close your eyes for a moment. Bow your heads at a moment of privacy and prayer. You might've been sitting here this morning and I'm talking about David finding strength in God. And that whole concept just seems foreign to you. And if you're really honest, it's because the whole concept of God just feels foreign to you. He feels so far away. Maybe you learned about Him in school, but you've never really given Him much thought since then. Maybe you've never thought about Him. Maybe once you knew Him, but it's been a long time and He feels so far away. I want to give you right now the opportunity to know this God because you could do with that strength. You could do with that peace and it's available in the presence of God. And deep in your heart, you know and I know that you're only going to find it in the presence of God. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now with every eye closed to meet this God that I'm talking about, who gives peace in the middle of the storm. And if that's you and you say, I want to meet God, I want to know God, I want to ask you right now just to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, yes, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Well done. Well done. Is there anyone else? You say, I want to know God. I want to know that peace. Is there anyone else? As I look across the room, last chance. All right, all right. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray in church so that it's not awkward. We're going to pray all together. This incredible person has chosen to meet God today. So we're going to pray. I want to ask you all just to repeat this prayer after me. It's very simple. Dear Jesus, I want to know You. I want to know Your peace. I want to know Your strength. Come into my heart. Forgive me of everything I've ever done. Be my Lord. Be my Saviour. Be my best friend. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's so great. Let's give that person a hand. That's phenomenal.